Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Hello and welcome. Coming up, we meet the first woman ever to be elected to the Australian Men's Shed Association Board of Directors and ask, why would she want to do that? We meet the newest member of the AMSA team. She may be a familiar name, and yes, she too is a she. Professor John McDonald examines what the shed of the future might look like. What is the magic formula that makes shedding popular everywhere from Tipperary to Tumut? Our international panel will discuss. We'll talk about music as medicine, how a good tune can give you a good tune-up, and Rip gives us a taste of his music collection. Hold on to your hats for that. All that coming up in episode 10 of The Shed Wireless. Hello, I'm Aaron Carney. We are joined by the Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association, David Helmers. Hi, David. How are you? Very well, thank you. Music. Are you a big music man? Huge. First things first, are you in the vinyl era, the CD era? I still have a big collection of vinyl. I have the old needle record player. Still got records there from... I've still got my first record, which was a Beatles album that I got when I was about five years oh, old. Oh, wow. So it goes back that far, the music. And look, it's wide and varied. CDs in the car? CD, you... No. Generally, I've, I've moved up to modern technology. Oh, you have? You, it's yeah. all on the phone? I've got, I put, years ago, I put my whole CD collection onto hard drive. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I've got the playlist on the phone. and. Yeah. I'm a big YouTube music fan. Yeah, right. uh, it, it, Everything's on YouTube these yeah, days. it is. So why get up and, you know, put a CD in? You can actually get it all on YouTube. You know, the videos, the whole experience. And it, look, I think that too, because I've got a really varied music taste. Mm. Uh, everything from classical through to rock, folk, everything in between. Like, the, you know, there's a piano soloist, a guy, George Winston, I absolutely love his mm versions of the canon are just amazing mm. yeah it's just him on a piano and that's good just chill out mm-hmm. music right through like australian wise paul kelly who could not like him yes you know, it's but i think with music too it's it's hard to say like it's like if you like music you like music mm. but then you think why you like it and it's generally brings out you know a memory an emotion or, you know, the, the lyrics might have something with you. So there's those type of things that trigger it. But I, I like to, I'd probably like everyone else in the world, I've got a list of maybe 20 or 40 mm-hmm. or, or so songs, and you think, if I was ever to write that, because I was a frustrated musician, mm-hmm. I used to play, and I, during the COVID I started to learn how to play piano again. It had been 20-odd years since I had, and um, went out and bought a new instrument and started playing around. Then I think... If there's a list of songs that, if you could ever write, runs one song that goes on that list. Yes, you know? and you, I think if we all put a list together, you'd find a lot of similarities in that forty or fifty songs of things that you know we we all we all like for whatever whatever reason. But there is some certain classics out there. If you could write one. And only one song would be on that list. Totally. And as you say, there are different songs that match a mood. There's one yes. that'll make you nostalgic. There's yep. one that'll always get your toe tapping. There's one yep. that'll lift you when you're flat. So exactly. they are medicinal, aren't they? They are. Yeah. And again, I'm a big fan of versions of songs, yeah. of the classics. It may not be a cover version. It might be the original artist doing it just a different way mm-hmm. and gives you a whole new perspective you know, on the song itself. So a big fan of cover versions. It's generally by another artist or the original artist in the first place. Even better, 
10, 20 years later. It's funny that you say that, and I might be revealing about myself, but over the weekend I was listening to my sort of mother load, and there's about five different versions of Tubular Bells on there. There's yep. the original, there's the dance version, there's the classical uh, yeah. version. Yep. So, yeah, yep. yeah. It's funny how uh, these things grow with yeah, us over time. And making it, you know, I know now that, you know, they call them pub choirs in Australia. Mm. Started in Canada with a group called Choir, Choir, Choir. Uh, and if you ever look at them on YouTube, you know, and they're just a group of people that gather in a pub mm. and sing modern pop songs. And now they have what these they call these epic nights mm. where they actually get in world-famous artists, mm. you know, as a surprise guest to sing along with them. And they, they, they really feel good stuff. It's really good to watch. Uh, that was going off as a concept where I live and then mm. COVID came and yeah. I only noticed yesterday that there's some online versions of those emerging now yeah. where you do it in your own room and then they combine it into a giant thing. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great initiative. In the mailbag this week, and we invite you to email us anytime, theshedwireless at menshed.net. This is self-explanatory. It says, hello, everyone. Gavin Smith, beekeeper in Petersham, wondering if you might have contacts in the beekeeping fraternity who lost hives or if your club might be interested in joining us in the Beemergency program. Sydney Bee Club and the Inner West Beekeepers have combined with some of the men's sheds in Sydney to make nucleus hives and native bee hotels to rebuild colonies lost in the fires and the floods. I will attach the intro letter, which gives details of the project. We have over 100 made, and they are awaiting finishing touches. The virus has slowed us down like everything else, but we'll get there. 60 have been delivered to Elands, which is inland from Taree. Do you know Elands? No, I've never heard of that either, never, no. Never, never but near there. Taree, I look forward to hearing from you. Gavin goes on to essentially say that these bee hotels... We've all heard a lot about how we need bees for the future of the planet. So he says, can you please join the bee emergency hive built? If you have a workshop, spare timber and time, I can supply plans to you. Some timber is available, new or secondhand, doesn't matter. Bees aren't fussy. They need shelter from the elements. But if you are in a position at your shed to help Gavin out, this is his email, gavinsmithwilderness at gmail.com. That's gavinsmithwilderness at gmail.com or you can just write to us at theshedwireless at menshed.net and we will happily pass it on to Gavin as well. This is a little similar to that Possum House uh, project of a couple of weeks ago. I like the idea of a bee hotel. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but there's been so much talk about we underestimate how important bees are Mm, in our mm, ecosystem. So, uh, And I heard some shocking stuff recently about the number of species that have been destroyed in the bushfire. Yeah, and a lot of bee species were struggling with pride of the bushfires Mm. anyway. There's a lot of problems with uh, that sector. So, yeah, put a shout out for them. Hopefully we can get some some bee hotels built. The history-making Helen Barker is up next. Uh, David, you have been working closely with Helen and have followed her journey onto the board. Uh, She is one of the new specialist directors. Tell us a little about Helen before we meet her. With all the specialist directors, all the skills-based directors, Mm. we put an expression of interest out. We advertise these on the, the all the websites and Helen was one of, I think, three women who actually applied for that position. You know, it's got a background there in fundraising and events, so yeah, we thought it would be a, a nice addition to have someone much younger on the board as well. And, yeah, she's come on earlier this year and been a great asset to us ever since. She 
tells us why she was motivated to get involved and talks a little bit about that fundraising past as well. And I think you will get to see what a great addition she is. So we'll meet Helen Barker up next. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. There was a significant moment in the history of the Australian Men's Shed Association earlier this year when the new directors for the board were instated. One of them, a skills specialist who has been incorporated onto the team, is, wait for it, a woman. Her name is Helen Barker, and she joins us on The Shed Wireless. Hello, Helen. Hi, Aaron. How did you come to get involved with the Men's Shed movement? Ah, a very good question indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so my background is in the non-profit space, so in, in fundraising and marketing. So I've been in, been doing that for the past 20 years. Um, but just because that is my background doesn't necessarily mean, why does that mean you might be interested in, in joining or, or have an interest in, in the Men's Shed movement? For me, my interest comes from my father. So um, my um, uh, family are in the UK and my dad, oh, probably about five or six years after he retired, just struggled so much with retiring and, and slowing down and, and stopping and he had found himself in a, a volunteer role that was helping um, adult, adults with a disability um, to do woodwork. And so he, started, he personally started to, to do that and learn all of these woodwork skills. And from that, he just ignited a, a passion for woodwork at the age of kind of whatever he would have been, probably 71 at the time, and um, just really... Um, started to to get in into a, a whole kind of new chapter of his life and with a couple of the other um, volunteers who were there as well they created a bit of an offshoot to um, to the disability work that they were supporting doing woodwork to create their own um, little woodwork shop um, for, with with him and two friends and so for me personally I just saw firsthand just the unique experience that dad had um being able just to go off um go off each day in the same way that he had gone to work um and for him like they had t-shirts made with their logo on for the woodwork shop and and things like that so they could really feel like they were doing it properly yeah it was just such a, a lovely experience to be able to to see him establish new friendships and get out in the community and really just have that sense of purpose that he just really struggled with for those first few years after he retired so yeah so I really um was inspired by that experience that my dad had gone through and then when I um saw everything that was happening with the men's shed here in Australia and we could obviously see the parallels but here it's so much bigger and that there's a, there are a few men's shed in, sheds in the UK but it's nothing like it is here and when I saw the opportunity um, that came up that was advertised about the a board position that was looking for fundraising and marketing experience, I thought for me that that was a really um, nice way for me to be able to share my experience and, and my skills, but in a way that pays a bit of a, a legacy and a bit of respect to like the value that, that Dad got out of um, joining a similar men's shed experience. So, Helen, just to clarify, that experience of your dad's was not within an official UK men's shed because, as you mentioned, we do have some there. 
Yes, that's right. Yeah, so there there isn't one for kind of twenty or thirty miles um, in terms of where that Dad lived on the um, south coast of the UK. So it was just something that that him and a couple of friends put together themselves. And so yeah, so they kind of I guess fumbled along in terms of figuring out exactly what they were doing and what they were meant to be doing. And they um, they did it in a way where they they would make a few things, but I think their their prerequisite whenever somebody asked them to do a job was that they wouldn't ever give anybody a timeline as to when it would be finished. <laughs> they were more than happy to take jobs on, um, but um, but they could never guarantee when it was going to be done. It was it was always going to be done to a great standard, but it may take a week or it may take six weeks. I quite like that business model. That's got something to recommend yeah. it. I think. Yeah. What about for you personally? Yeah. Why? you here and not there yeah so I um, met my now husband um, in a skiing resort in Austria after university <laughs> um, and he is Australian so we spent a couple of years traveling around together and he decided that he wanted to come home and I um, was kind of uh, in my early 20s and thought oh yeah sure I'll go to Australia why not and then um, yeah kind of whatever it is 16 years of marriage, two children and a house and a dog and all those things later, um, I'm still here. Do you now feel completely Australian? I'm always interested with people's relationship with their original home versus the place that they tend to spend the majority of their life. I think for me, I um, will always be English. That's never, ever going to, to go. But I think certainly since since having children, I think, and kids just starting school and all of those things, um, I'm certainly feeling like this is my Australian home and this is um, certainly feeling a lot more normal and sadly routine probably. Um, and, yeah, starting to feel like this is, is definitely where, where we'll be setting up home um, indefinitely. My wife is English as well, and I know yeah. that on some level she'll never quite get over the idea that her offspring speak with an Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's certainly weird, <laughs> and I know that that I um, or my all my family say to me that that since having children that I've definitely become more Australian and and they are certainly very Australian in in their accents. Well I must say given how things have gone down in the last couple of months it's probably one of the best places in the world to be. Tell me about your day-to-day work. Yeah, so I work for um, a couple of non-profits. So I work for a charity, a national charity called Many Rivers as in their marketing team, leading, heading up the marketing team. And they are a, an organisation that works with individuals from um, different walks of life um, who to start a small business. So we have um, 38 business coaches from around Australia in 32 locations. And we help people to kind of realize their small business dream from helping with anything from marketing support to ABN and setting up what type of business structure they might need um, to how they can manage their cash flow and just really the the small steps that that people um, need support with and motivation as they keep going um, in order to um, to run a business so the the marketing support that we do is we're um, a lot of uh, digital 
marketing to um, promote the work that Many Rivers does so that more people can find us. And that's a, a new thing that, that the organisation has been doing. And then um, lots of content in terms of being able to provide other support that, that businesses need from a, from a video and, and um, other content perspective. Can you give us an example or two of one of the businesses that has gotten off the ground? Yeah, sure. The couple of the the more common businesses are, are things like hairdressers, gardeners, um, but small um, small shops, lots of um, fashion retailers, and um, people that just have a, an idea, small idea, and, and want to, want to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's around forty um, percent of the um, individuals that Many Rivers works with are from an Indigenous background, and so um, in that instance, then it, it might be um, Indigenous artists who will work with to make sure that they um, they're able to to value their art properly and, and getting the right market value um, f- because what's um, what's accurate in terms of pricing in in a more touristy area can be really different to if it's a really remote part of Australia. So we're able to call on the support from um, all of the um, business coaches around the country to make sure that that the support that we're we're offering the businesses that we work with give gives a bit more of an insight in terms of what market values and what people can be can be charging that's appropriate as well. I bet the whole COVID experience has knocked a lot of those people sideways, has it? Yeah, certainly. And I think as an organisation, um, Many Rivers has really found that we're, we're fortunate to still be operating, but, but very much our, our services has never been in as much demand as it has been before because we're, we're here to help people when they come up against a bump in the road. And so being able to actually have somebody who can support you when your, your business is kind of taken out from underneath you over, overnight they've been able to to talk through like issues like like cash flow or how do you um how do you navigate all of the government um stimulus packages that are right for different cohorts and and so we've certainly seen that the immediate response a couple, um was that a lot of the businesses did did cease or cease temporarily but certainly um, over the past few weeks that's starting to change which is really really positive the largest um, impact really is is in more remote and regional areas that are so reliant on tourism and they're they're the businesses that are certainly um, uh, doing it the toughest yes and we've spoken to a few men's sheds in a few of the towns that rely on that and that is very much the reality to say nothing of bushfires and the various other things Mm. that have had to be dealt with across Australia in the last few months. I have to ask the question because it is the men's shed movement and you are a woman. Mm. Uh, How do you navigate gender politics and what are your gender motivations in all of this? I kind of looked at it probably more innocently than having a more probably a, a feminist start to say like I, there, sh- there definitely should be a female on on the um, on on the board. It was more um, around seeing an opportunity and thinking, oh, I think I might be the right person to to get involved and might be able to to share my experience and and skill set with there. So. For me, it it certainly wasn't gender motivated, but I'm certainly really happy to be the yeah the, the first female to join the board, and and hopefully won't be the last as well. 
No, indeed. And this is a strictly personal observation. The comments of the host do not represent those of the AMSA board <laughs> or the AMSA manager, but it, exactly that. There's a strong sense that you uh, provide a uniquely female voice and perspective, but it's within that human context rather than some sort of gender policing context. And you certainly bring that vibe to the table. And even the most strident old school man first uh, believer would be hard pressed to argue that everything isn't improved by some gender mix. And that's certainly been the board experience. It is a skills-based directorship. So specifically, what are the skills that you were elected for? Yeah, so fundraising and marketing. Whilst my current role isn't doesn't have a fundraising or business development component to it, I spent the the past fifteen years in a, um, a number of fundraising roles um, across different different charities. So certainly, um, I've got a mix of experience in terms of understanding um, both government funding, but also how more community based and, and corporate corporate partnerships philanthropy and trust and foundations and um, so I was very fortunate to have the the support from the government in terms of the funding but it's a, certainly an opportunity for for the team as an organisation to to make sure that in terms of being able to have a sustainable funding base that that's not just reliant on one source being able to to start to consider how what other fundraising foundations we can um, look to to do on, on top of what's already happening there there is a, a, a strong corporate partnerships and and um there's a, a really good um, foundation in in terms of of the sponsors that are on board but being able to to consider what the the future might look like and what other um support might funding support might be needed just to cr- create that sustainability Yeah. And again, I'm putting all sorts of caveats in place that this is you and I just shooting the breeze, but we are both on the board of directors. And so it's important to say we're having a personal conversation, but it does seem to me, particularly when you see what is going on in other parts of the world and also knowing the motivations of many of the men at the men's shed, there is a real opportunity with philanthropy to develop the idea that somebody might leave a small amount to ensure that their shed continues into the future or something like that. There's some real growth potential there. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, where I've always been passionate about fundraising is, is that it's not just a a case of just asking someone for money and feeling like a, a salesperson, but it's mm. about how do you create that genuine relationship between a person that wants to give and make it easy for them to give in the right way, in the way that's right for them. So there's so many different things that that can can be right for someone, but it's making sure that we're we're asking people as well and and asking in a way that's really respectful but makes it both easy and enjoyable um, for someone to feel like that they can can give and whether it's a, a legacy gift um, that comes through um, through a, a gift from a will or a major donation that, that comes through, that there are different ways that the individuals can can feel like they're able to to provide to provide that support to an organisation is really powerful. Yeah, and you're donating time, not money, but you're living proof of how an emotional connection to an idea can lead to you putting skin in the game. That's why you're on the board, right? Yeah, exactly. I think there's a, the principles around it's not just you're, you're giving your time, but you can 
give your talent or your treasure in in different ways to mm. to to charities because ultimately so many of them are are built from um community and kind of grassroots initiatives like particularly like the men's shed movement I know that there isn't a high level of knowledge around this and probably for good reason because it's very boring, but you and I uh, joined the board on the same day. We're the two noobs that are... <laughs> we are indeed. And how do I say this respectfully to our uh, esteemed colleagues on the board? We probably drag the average age down a little when we <laughs> But we are learning, well, I'll speak for myself, I'm learning a lot from the other people on the board and I'm deeply indebted to the way we've been incorporated into the board system. Yes, yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I know that I um, not only tick the the gender diversity box, but I, um, yeah, tick tick the um, the age demographic in terms of being a, a little bit younger by, by uh-huh. a few decades I would say yeah, then maybe I'll, I'll, you um, might even be a bit younger than me by a few decades <laughs> but anyway the, yes. <laughs> um, but I think um, I think it, it, I mean and this is is uh, has been great for me to see that an, an organization that is is open to to getting that that governance insights from from a from a different demographic as well so I think that there's so much value that diversity can bring to to any organization so um yeah really fortunate and yeah thank you to all of the uh, the board members uh, other board members for for making us both feel so welcome over the past few months it's been a really great learning experience so great to meet you helen as i say i really enjoy your company and the time that we get to spend together well it's been virtually lately but hopefully it will be actually again uh, in our board commitments and thank you for telling us a little bit about your life and uh, how you came to be a part of the shedding movement my pleasure great to chat Aaron Helen Barker who is a recently installed member of the Australian Men's Shed Association Board of Directors nailed it nailed it nailed it Nailed it with Rip Woodchip. G'day, Shadows, Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I must admit, fellas, I'm not in the best of moods at the moment. I've just had a bit of a riff with the missus. But don't worry, nothing serious. Just something stupid and simple that can set me off sometimes, like when she leaves the toilet seat down or something like that. Sometimes if you're in a bit of a fowley, it doesn't take much to get you going, you know? So anyways, I've come up here to the shed for a bit of time out and to listen to some of my music to get me in a good headspace again. I've always loved music, and like most things, I've always had a bit of a natural talent. In fact, my old man used to hear me sing and say, I should do solos. Solo, no one can hear me. <laughs> so anyways, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, or want to be in, I tend to come up here, or go for a drive, or just put my headphones on and when I'm out in the yard, and do a bit of listening. Like now, when I'm a bit grumpy, I whack on me old cassettes and sort myself out. Nothing like a bit of none of my scory to soothe the savage beast. Don't judge me, you buggers. I can never stay angry for long, though. She's a top bloke, my missus. I'll never forget the first time she found me at the Barnawatha B&S Ball. It took me about 20 cans of Dutch courage and a little help from old Blue Eyes before I finally swept her off her feet and gracefully guided her around that dance floor like Fred Astaire himself. That's how I recollect it anyway. She might have a slightly different memory. But from that point on, we were no longer strangers in the night, if you know what I mean. 
It wasn't long after that I'd be picking her up in the old FJ every Friday night and heading out to the lookout for some, uh, genuinely stimulating conversation. And if she was lucky, I'd serenade her with a bit of Barry Manilow. Still to this day, she says she gets a shiver up her spine if she hears old Mandy come on the wireless. Pity that's not a name, though. Funny how music has a way of doing that, though. Like a certain smell can remind you of a certain time and a place. You can hear a certain song or a tune. And, just like that, you're in a completely different frame of mind. And, being the wise and worldly person I am, I do have a very eclectic taste in music. I can be listening to Buddy Holly in the morning and jigging around the kitchen and belting out Akadaka by the end of the day while I'm chopping wood and working up a sweat. Yep, there's just about a song for every occasion and a memory or a mood to go with it. Sometimes it's the words and sometimes it's just the tune and sometimes it's both. And they'll get ya. Even a tough old bugger like me still tears up every time I hear that bloody butterfly kisses song that I walked me little princess down the aisle to on a wedding day. Yep. Thousands of songs and thousands of memories. Well, you'll have to excuse me, fellas, but I reckon I've got to go back down the house and do some apologising, or I'll be listening to the sound of silence. And then, if all goes well, maybe I can whack on some Barry White, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Okay, fellas, catch you next week. See you, fellas. Staying strong, staying sharp, and staying healthy with The Shed Wireless. In the last episode of The Shed Wireless, I must admit, I had a particularly good time when we were talking about... Pick a term for it. We were calling it all sorts of things. Uh, Adages, bush wisdom... Things your grandfather used to say to you, things my old mum used to say. You know what we're talking about, those little bits of life wisdom, those droplets of how to best live your life. And then we turn that into a conversation about how we can live our own lives well and how these little shorthand ideas can help us through difficult times. Well, given how much fun that we had with that, and given that we think we were able to pass on some useful information, we thought we would visit another aspect of everyday life, indeed, something that your parents might have handed down to you, at least in some way, shape or form, and talk about how it might enrich our lives. I speak of music, the soundtrack of your life. How do you use it in your world? Can it get you down? Can it give you a lift? Can it get you moving? The possibilities are endless. Can it take you to a better place? We are joined by AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer, as always, Stuart Torrance. Hello, sir. How are we, Aaron? I've come prepared this week. With your blue suede shoes, perhaps? No, measure twice, cut once. (laughs) A fantastic piece of advice I never seem to have followed. Rip Woodchip was talking about that last episode, actually. Oh, was he really? Yeah. He strikes me as a man who doesn't necessarily measure carefully. He strikes me more as a get the saw out and have a rip kind of guy. Yeah, she'll be right. Exactly. And (laughs) I tell you, anyone who has spent an hour trying to create something learns that lesson the hard way, don't they? They do. They do. 
Uh, mind you, my my things that I make have character at the end of the day. Let's face it, I, they have character, lots of it. <laughs> How's uh, your current project coming along? Mate, slowly but surely. I, I've sort of left it for a, a, a little while just to sort of stand back and, uh, and ponder its future. <laughs> okay, so I didn't measure twice, cut once. <laughs> I now have to rethink how I'm going to approach the, the this from an, a different angle. But anyway. Conversation for another day. At, at least you can put some music on as you uh, ponder its future and yours. Is music important to you? Very relaxing. Mm. In fact, when you when you put this uh, subject forward for this week, mm. the, the, the phrase that came to mind talking about phrases from last week was music soothes the savage beast. Mm. Which is actually a misquote. Is it from uh, the Morning Bride? I believe the um, the the was it a play? I think back in the sixteen ninety sevens. I don't think it was a movie, <laughs> but uh, it it actually comes from the the words "music hath charms to soothe a savage breast," played by William Congreve. But yeah, I like the shortened version. Music soothes a savage beast because I think it's pretty on the money. Because it is transportative and transformative, is that the process? Give me a real-life example of how it might soothe the bestial version of yourself. Well, not not necessarily of myself, but doesn't the um, there's a, um, a sheriff in in America that runs the local jail or something? He paints the walls pink and he plays classical music in the background, all to soothe the inmates. And he hasn't had a, a, a riot, uprising, or any disputes for a long, long time. I know in my own personal world, I get in the car, I've been wound up, I've uh, you know, maybe uh, done a presentation and I'm beating myself up because I, I didn't feel like I did, did it justice. I'll turn on the music and the toe starts tapping and then the groove gets on and then I hopefully have the windows wound right the way up so no one hears me, but then I join in. Once I've cut loose, I, I feel restored, I suppose, by the music I'm playing. I have daughters who love having music on around the house, and in this day and age, if you know what you're doing, you can effectively create an album collection on your phone, which you can then play into a speaker. And I have an Aaron's playlist and it's a combination of things that I know they like, very modern music and songs that they have a fondness for, but also a set that I want to just have in their world, you know, songs that I think they should have to complete their education in life. And it works really well. But what I find happens is they sing along to their songs. And when mine comes on, I just forget myself and I get into that singing mode as well. And yes, it does all of those things that you described around feeling more relaxed, getting out of my own head, all of those sorts of things. But the other thing is, is it makes me feel like, uh, I know this is a bit of a loaded term, but I'm in a safe space. Like I'm amongst friends, I'm with my intimate family and I can just be myself because I'm damn sure I ain't singing karaoke or getting up on stage to sing. So the fact that I'm belting it out in my own house means I'm in my happy place, you know? Absolutely. And I'm with you on that karaoke thing. Let's, let's never go there. I saw a thing yesterday said, of all the martial arts, karaoke does the most damage. <laughs> 
I like that. <laughs> yes, there would not be a single person listening who couldn't relate to what we're saying on some level. Music is is hard woven into everybody's life to a mm. greater or lesser degree, even if it's just the song you remember from your mum's funeral or Amazing Grace or whatever the thing is. But there's actually some science to all of this as well, isn't there? Uh, I think it was Carl Jung. Um, a Swiss uh, psychiatrist who said music should be an essential part of every analysis. In other words, when you look at somebody, don't just look at the person, look at uh, look at the, the thing that made them who they are. And music is a huge part of that. As uh, in previous conversations, I've told you I've worked with uh, Dementia Australia and uh, a lot of dementia clients are now finding relief from their situation by just plugging in their favourite music, uh, locking out the rest of the world and just getting back to the basics uh, and absolutely loving every minute. There's people that have actually come alive just by hearing music in that uh, uh, circumstance. Elton John said, uh, music has healing power. It has the ability to take people out of themselves for a few hours. And I think that's so so true. That's the exact turn of phrase I used about three minutes ago. It gets you out of yourself, doesn't it? And and the other thing Bob Marley said, one good thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. <laughs> <laughs> I like the guy. Yeah, obviously Bob Marley never went to karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> what does the music that speaks the most to you what is its flavour? Is it from your childhood? Is it from your swinging teen and 20s? Is it modern music? How do you use music in your world? Yeah, good question. When I think of what you've just said, it takes me back to my, my youth, my childhood. And I remember in, in probably those moments, you know, when you've got those growing pains and you're not so sure about who you're going to become or you know, what you've done or anything like that, and you you feel sort of empty. What my mind does is it, it goes and paints a picture of my mother at the kitchen sink washing the dishes, but she used to sing hymns, and I can still remember my mum singing those hymns in the background, and it gives me a great deal of comfort and um, reflection because it always calms me down. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my mum singing. Maybe it was the hymns. Maybe it's the words. Maybe it's the familiar tunes. But those sort of spiritual songs sort of take me back to a, a, a better place. What was your mum's name? Well, uh, her name's Janet, but everyone called her Netta. And actually last week she was 90. Oh, really? Bless her heart. It's not a was, it's an is. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and, and my father was 90 the day after. Oh, wow. You've been swimming in a good gene pool. I could book you in for a few more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> my father always says every year, the, the, the day of my mother's birthday, he says, I always liked an older woman. Well, they've been together 70 years. I bet he's been telling that for 70 years, has he? Uh, I, well, I think it's a lot more than that because they went to primary school together. They've they've known no one else but themselves. So um, what you know, a story. take my hat off to them. 90 and um, uh, an amazing life. An amazing life. The reason why I asked is the exact description that you gave evoked some famous lyrics for me. Uh, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. That's more or less a paraphrase of what you just said, except if it was Netta rather than Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I like your approach there. Neil, uh, Louis Armstrong, I, I found this quote. Music is life itself. Louis Armstrong. See, that's incredibly simple but incredibly profound because it actually brings up another thing that you said earlier, and that is one of the things that I think might be a useful takeaway is that when you are 14 and you discover a certain kind of music, and presumably when you are 84 as well and you are discovering a certain kind of music, one of the things that music does is it says to you, Mm. whatever I'm feeling right now, I am not the first person to feel that, that if I am lovesick or if I am lonely or if I'm ecstatic or if I want to dance or if I'm pondering how quickly life goes, whatever the emotion is, there is a song that has expressed that emotion. And on that level, at least, it tells you you're not hoeing a lonely road. You've just taken me back to every heartbreak I've ever had in all my life, Aaron. (laughs) Oh. All those women that have broken my heart and I've sort of hugged the radio for days thereafter. Pardon my indulgence, everyone, but, you know, Sinead O'Connor, that famous song, Nothing Compares (laughs) to You, remember? When she shaved her head. Yes, and the whole film clip is just her standing crying. (laughs) Well, that song was a hit as my first real love ended. (laughs) I have strong memories of driving down the highway sobbing. <laughs> because Sinead knew my pain. <laughs> oh, you've taken me there. <laughs> and I never want to go there ever again as long as I live. <laughs> Apart from perhaps evoking a few memories in our listeners right now, what would you encourage people to take away from this conversation when it comes to the role of music in our health and well-being? Oliver Sacks said, uh, music can lift us out of depression or move us to tears. It is a remedy, a tonic, orange juice for the ears. For many, many of my neurological patients, music even is even more. It can provide access, even when no medication can, to movement, to speech, to life. For them, music is not luxury, but a necessity. Connect with the music that you grew up with. Connect with new music. Just get with the beat. It'll save your soul, I believe. Take that tonic. It's available everywhere and at not very much cost, except maybe rummaging around in the back of your record collection. Stuart, I've enjoyed this immensely. I look forward to the next time we have the chance to, if not karaoke, at least dance somewhere together, even if it's uh, the Christmas party at the end of the year. I'll listen to music with you anyway. When you've finished your presentation, I'll be waiting in the car with a playlist ready to go. We'll sing together. Magic. Good to talk to you, Aaron. Good on you, Stuart. That is Stuart Torrance. He is the AMSA Men's Health Project Officer, and you can see why he's the perfect man for the job. This is The Shed Wireless. What do you see as the emerging challenges for men's health and how can sheds help to address those challenges? What might a shed look like in five or ten years from now? Will we still exist? Will we exist in a different form? We're going to put some of those questions and get some prognostications from Professor John McDonald, patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association and Director of Men's Health at Western Sydney University. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much, Aaron. Wow, that's quite a challenge. And I, I'm, I'm being honest when I say I don't have the answers. But I'm, in our previous chats, I've hinted that I, I've got 
an intuition, an idea, an imagination that the sheds in the future will be much more, I don't mean wired up into some high tech, but there will be much more use of technology that there will be in every shed, some way of communicating with people like a, a laptop that can be opened and people can access James, who's um, maybe not visually, but at least through word, James who can't come that week and who he wanted to come but couldn't because of of something or other, that there would be a much more, it will, I think our sheds will be much more technically friendly in the future uh, without making them into some high-tech place, uh, buzzing with lights and flashing uh, as in the television, etc. No, it's something quite simple. But I'm, I'm convinced that in 10 years' time, yes, there will be sheds. Men need sheds. And the fact that there's so many in the country and now in the world shows that they're answering a need. And that need will be manifested, will be satisfied in different ways. And the only thing I can say is I do think that will be a lot more use of technology. Um, I mean, myself, um, I'm not very clever at these things, but uh, once every fortnight I'm talking to my colleagues in in Chile and in South America, and it's, it's almost as though this woman, this colleague is in the next room. She's very supportive of men's health, and we work together on that. And then... I, I talk to people in Palestine and people in Holland, and um, my son lives in Europe, and he talks about my work too, and I talk about his. And 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I would never have thought it's possible to have that kind of communication, sometimes in depth, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's relaxed. Why not? But that there could be a much more serious look by the shed, and I'm sure it's happening, and you're part of that, Aaron, and all power to your elbows. We say good luck to make technology a means by where men can talk still shoulder to shoulder or using using technology. I'm sure that's the way to go. I was listening to an expert being interviewed on another show a couple of weeks ago, and he said something that I thought was very profound. And he said, I'm not in the business of forecasting the future. That's a fool's errand. But what I am interested in doing is exploring scenarios. So let me put a scenario to you that I think might be realistic and get your response to it. Demographically, we are going to see an inevitable shift of the generations coming through. And each new generation that comes through a shed is going to have had a larger percentage of their life interfacing with technology. So, for example, if you're in your late 70s now and you retired in your early 60s, then you might have barely worked in a world where the internet was operational, for example. But if you're a 55-year-old who recently retired and heads to a shed, the vast majority of your working life would have been spent in an internet world, just to give an example. It seems to me that there is a real opportunity for a symbiosis between generations of those that are more tech savvy being able to introduce a certain skill set while at the same time getting in response a lot of those skills that were established outside the digital realm and that give the shed so much of its charm. I realise that's quite a complicated question slash statement, but can you respond? It's not it's not complicated at all, and I, I like the idea very much. My my response would be, as I imagine, the younger, inverted commas, man coming into the shed um, and the question of technology coming up. There's two challenges there. One is for us older guys not to 
to be disparaging and to say, well, we don't need that, we've run it before, and we, mm. etc. But to be open to the um, to learn and to get new information and new new means of communicating, and the challenge is also for those who have the knowledge not to be disparaging about us older guys and say, well, you old fuddy duddies, you know, I'm rolling your eyes and oh, really? Do I have to explain this again? Because that's what makes people go bugger it, then stick your computer. <laughs> So, yeah, and to keep that with a sense of humor, but to realize we're all in the same business, we all have different skills, and to be ready to share them. Until now, often the sharing has been older men with skills, sharing them with younger men. And now to the challenge of saying, well, maybe we have to learn also younger men sharing their knowledge with older men. I think that is a real challenge, and I think we can work on it and make it something not heavy, but something quite... You're doing it yourself, Alan, making it light, more lighthearted. I mean, I have skills <laughs> which I've picked up over the years, which younger people won't have. But younger people coming in with, as you say, with um, computer skills um, can um, can really help one another. I, I can really help the shed movement. I remember a, a wonderful poster from Bendigo um, where um, in Men's Health Week years ago, they had a lovely poster of... Um, of a young boy um, leaning over the shoulder of an older man. And he obviously that he was showing him how to work the technology on his laptop. And there, there wasn't any condescension there. There was a sense of respect from the young person and a sense of welcoming from the older person. It's a wonderful, um, hope there's anybody from Bendigo who can remember that. Um, really wonderful, um, this skill sharing. Can I also say... Sorry, that brings to mind another post that they had, which is of three men doing Tai Chi. And one of them clearly was of Asian origin. And when I went to Bendigo, because I did on one occasion, these three men were there. And I said to the, the man of Asian origin, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with these other guys. And the three of them laughed. And they, he said, look, you know, I'm Chinese origin, but... I haven't hadn't a clue about Tai Chi. It's one of these old guys here, and he pointed to the <laughs> older white man who taught me everything I know about Tai Chi. But it was lovely that openness to one another, that learning from one another it was really terrific. And if you don't put new information into your brain, your brain goes stale. And this is a really useful way to put new information into your brain that will enrich your life. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. When you say that, I'm thinking that technology is not just individuals communicating with one another. Ten-minute clips on the telly or on a radio, which you share with your mates and criticize it and say, now, he's terrible. That guy with the accent, because he couldn't understand a word he said. Well, well, no, maybe he. one of the things he said was quite useful. I mean, that sharing with one another, I know, and sorry, I am a professional now, an academic, I know that that learning together is really reinforcing it's really in itself a joy and it reinforces as you're saying it improves our mind it's the brain itself but it's also a way of learning which is much faster and much more fun and has a real world dividend where it can actually make your life that much more enjoyable 
I could talk to you for hours. I do talk to you for hours. I have loved catching up with you over the last few episodes of The Shed Wireless, and it won't be the last time we speak, but thank you so much for your perspectives. Please stay warm up there in the mountains. Please stay healthy amid these crises that we find ourselves in, and thank you for all that you do for shedding and just for the thinking that you do because it really, a lot of us get to enjoy the sheds without putting too much thought into it. Some people get to enjoy the sheds by putting all of the administrative and logistic thought into it. But somebody needs to sit above the whole thing and uh, try and make sense of it all. And we value what you do in that regard. Thank you, sir. That's quite a challenge for me. And I feel quite modest about that. But I'm certainly very happy to be involved in any way I can. So thank you very much, Aaron. Professor John McDonald, patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association and director of Men's Health at Western Sydney University. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. Catching up with our mates in the Irish Men's Shed Association has become a bit of a habit here on The Shed Wireless in recent times because we just love having a yarn with them. In previous episodes, we've talked about the state of shedding there. And we talked about the growth and development of shedding in Ireland over time. But we wanted to catch up about what I'm going to call the brotherhood of shedding. What is it about shedding that works in various locations, even when the country, the climate, the culture and the background of the men completely changes? There's something at the heart of shedding that translates across all of that. What is it? The gentlemen we've assembled to take on that question are Barry Sheridan, the CEO of the Irish Men's Shed Association. G'day, Barry. Aaron, delighted to be back. Welcome. Irish Men's Shed founder, John Avoy, welcome back to the Shed Wireless. Thanks a million, Aaron. Always nice to chat. And Australian Men's Shed Association Executive Officer David Helmers is with us as always. Thank you, David, for your time again. Uh, Hello, everybody. Good to be back with you. I want to start by asking you all the same questions. And David, I might come to you first, given that this was something that travelled from Australia to Ireland. What is the difference between a shed that you walk into in rural Western Australia or in suburban Brisbane in Queensland and one on the outskirts of Dublin or over on the west coast of Ireland? What are the differences? (laughs) Good question. Um, Look, the short answer to it is very little, but that's a very simplistic way of putting it. Barry Golding, you know, wrote some stuff there a few years ago going on the diversity of men's sheds around the world. But in some ways, we could contradict that. The men's sheds all around the world, bar for a very small number, I find, are are very much the same. It's the men within the shed that are different and and shape and morph that particular shed and their needs and and desires. I suppose if you look at things logistically, a shed in Australia, due to our vast size and land, is you know generally much bigger than what you'd find in Ireland or England or you know anywhere else for that you know where sheds are for that nature. But it's the I think the fundamental objectives of a shed are that camaraderie, companionship, social inclusion, prevention of social isolation. They're all underlying themes in all sheds around the world. So. Yeah, I've always said they're they're all hugely different, but in some ways they're all exactly the same. And I know that sounds a bit 
you know, ironic or, you know, maybe even dodging the, the question in some ways, Aaron, but that, that's the fact, the fact the way I, I see it from my experiences over the years. And, you know, John and, and Barry, you might want to argue differently to that, but, you know, that, that's coming from, you know, my perspective of what I've seen over the last 10 years of the growth of sheep. No, I think it's a fantastic answer, and I think you go close to capturing what is the lightning in the bottle, if you will, about shedding and why that is a difficult thing for people to understand at first glimpse. Just before I move on, David, have you ever given some thought to how many men's sheds you would have set foot inside of around the world? Uh, no, I have thought of that and um, I'd hate to count them. Um, and probably the best answer is I haven't, to my personal uh, opinion, I haven't been in enough. Yeah. It would be in the hundreds, you know, maybe a thousand. I wouldn't know. With my role over the years, unfortunately, I don't get to spend as much time in the shed as I would like to. Um, but I would, I would say a rough guess would have to be 500 plus sheds around the world that I've been in. Yeah. Well, probably a fairer question is how many sheds would you have connected with given the nature of Australian geography? But that's a great answer. If I can come to you, John, the same question. If you blindfolded me and then took the blindfold off, how would I know if I was in an Irish shed or an Australian shed, do you think? So if you're in an Irish shed, they probably wouldn't understand what anybody's saying. Um, that would be a start. Um, <laughs> They'd be talking too quick. Yeah, they would. <laughs> but they're very similar. And just to echo what Dave was saying, yeah, I think I think the magic of a men's shed is very hard to nail down, but it is, it is uh, something that really is recreated wherever the bunch of guys come together with the right set of intentions and right set of motivations you know that and that's and that's a very kind of human thing to look after themselves and look after their communities um so yeah and there's just that kind of unique blend of men's health community development bit of fun you know bit of crack uh men's desire to break things and fix things and all, all that stuff just uh, adds up it's kind of like um you know the ingredients in a cake and uh, the cake always kind of is a little bit different wherever you go but uh, it does the same thing like i mean listening to dave there and i was just thinking some of my travels with dave and you know we've been in 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 some very unusual settings we were in a shed in a in in malmo in the in uh sweden in a basement <laughs> one time and we had like a pizza with a banana on it um so that was <laughs> that was one unusual one you know, I've been in sheds in 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 um in Kenya, in Africa, uh, and even though another completely different setting, you still get the same attitude and camaraderie and togetherness and goodwill. And uh, yeah, it's just phenomenal, really. You know, sheds in in North America, you know, in in uh, uh, Canada, for example, and we were like often talking about how do they get on in the winter and they just don't some of the sheds in winnipeg that we visited go down to like 40 degrees below below zero in the winter centigrade and you know it's just but they still manage to maintain the like the shed ethos and shed the shed kind of togetherness which is phenomenal there's a couple of threads you've raised there that i'll pick up in a moment but i want to give barry sheridan the chance to answer the question as well is there something distinctive about an Irish shed or an Australian shed, Barry, in your experience? Yeah, I think the guys have really nailed it there, John, John and Dave. You know, it's, it's, I think, you know, we can bring it back to the kind of values, you know, it's, it's, I remember walking into my first shed in Australia 
and I was so blown away that apart from the accents, you could have been in Connemara or you could have been in Kerry or you could have been in Belfast. You could have been you could have been in anywhere any shed in Ireland because that kind of the values and the environment and that sense of togetherness uh, was so was so evident that it nearly brought you home, you know, and it nearly brought you back to what you knew from sheds in Ireland. And it kind of just, it never, it, it so amazed me that, you know, it was so similar. And, you know, we went to see that. And I think it's, it is that environment and it's that them values that are all there. And it's what the guys talk about in terms of that, you know, there's a sense of warmth and a sense of, a sense of support and camaraderie that exists within the shed. That is really, really hard to find in other, you know, in other parts of society. And I think it's there's something about that melting pot that John described there that just really, really works, you know. And you know, we always talk about you know sheds being for 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 everyone, you know. And it's it's the fact that it doesn't really matter who you are, where you come from, or what your background is. And I think that crosses, you know, borders. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, a shed is a shed. You know, and the ingredient. And Barry Golden talks about this. The ingredient that makes a shed work is the men. And John alluded to, or Dave alluded to that, I think, earlier. You know, the, the ingredient that really pulls it all together is the men. Uh, and that sense of kind of uh, being in this together and within us all, I think, is that that's real driving piece that sometimes we don't know how to get it out of us, but the shed manages to get it out of us, that we look after each other and we, we look out for each other. And we're that sense of being in this together, you know, and I think that's, why sheds are so unique, so, so unique in terms of trying to find another idea like men's sheds that's similar. You'll never find one because I think what happens in a shed and what happens in a shed in Australia or Ireland or Iceland or the States or Africa or wherever it might be, you can guarantee that you'll get the same kind of welcome. You know, you might get uh, you might get a, uh, a nicer cup of tea in Ireland than you would in Australia, but, you know, there's very little difference, you know, the very little difference. You'll find men really come together, really trying to uh, share and support each other. And I think that in itself is something that needs to be nourished and cherished and uh, supported as much as possible, you know. But the, the the key ingredient to that mixture, as John described, is the men themselves, you know. And I think it doesn't matter where you are uh, around the globe, really. I think um, that's, that, you know, sheds can break down them borders and kind of... Uh, uh, really thrive in, in, in any environment, you know. Don't think that cup of tea cheap shot went unnoticed either, just quietly. Yeah. <laughs> David. Yeah, and look, just commenting on what John and Barry both said there, and uh, I'm glad John raised uh, the uh, the point there of Malmo in Sweden. And I've quite often said when I've been asked this question, the only shit I've ever been into around the world that was uniquely different was what, that one in Sweden, would you agree, John, where it was full of younger men and they were expats and it had to, a lot to do with the, the the social demographics in the area, but it was a very unique shed. They did the, the traditional things, the woodwork, metalwork. They had a mighty fine home brew station and a distillery tucked away in the corner as well. But most of the guys there were under the age of 35. It was a very... You know, unique and totally different shed to anything I've seen before. And you both made the re- the references there. You just had to put it in there about the language problems. And I suppose, you know, when we when we look at that, we've got to give a bit of a shout out to our mate Stevie and Amar and 
John and Barry probably having a little smile there because if you can understand Stephen, you can understand anybody in Ireland at all. We'll give Stephen a bit of a, a shout-out. He's been around the shed movement in Ireland for a good decade or so as well. Yeah, he's a good guy, Stephen, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, he is a good guy. He's a good guy. But he, he often says, Dave, I've known you for 10 years and still can't understand a bloody word I say. <laughs> Gentlemen, I was talking to a shed in Western New South Wales in the last few weeks, and uh, I hope I'm paraphrasing this accurately. They had an in-house rule that went something like, if you've got a beef with each other, take it outside, sort it out and bring it back in. And that's not an invitation like a pub or the Wild West where you go outside and fisticuff it off or challenge each other to a duel. What it is saying is that level of aggro should happen outside the doors and that you bring a different perspective inside. John referenced earlier the intentions and the motivations of people who get involved. And yet the whole shed movement is about health, well-being, avoiding social isolation, being an outreach to blokes who might be at a vulnerable time in their life. On paper, this could be a recipe for a bun fight. Why isn't it a bun fight, John? That's a really interesting question, Aaron. I think, is it really to do with, like, when people come to the shed, like, they're they're coming with that different attitude, really? Um like, I really like the idea that the, the guys in the sheds go there to support others. So, like, if you've got 20 guys in a shed and you say, right, and you ask them all individually why are they there, and they're usually there to support their mates or their friends or to do something positive for the community, uh, and yet they'll probably never say, I'm here because I need a bit of help or I need a bit of support. And that's the magic of the shed, that, like, by helping others, they kind of help themselves. Yeah, it's just... a. Uh, usually a very friendly place now, that doesn't mean there's not plenty of little bits of conflict or awkward characters or differences of opinions but i think in general terms the guys usually find a way to put the higher priority of being there for them for, for each other and for the community ahead of the petty differences that can arise all the time but it, but it's complicated at times and sometimes it is a little bit more of a challenge than that and maybe that's when it's great to have a national association, either the Irish or the Australian one, and you can get called in to sort something out. And like maybe a, a third opinion from the outside can be very useful at times. Barry, why aren't there brawls in sheds every other day, do you reckon? Uh, look, I, I honestly think because, you know, it's, it's like the sheds themselves, you know, the self-police themselves, you know. So it's it's that idea of if if, if someone's getting too big for their boots or stepping out of line that, you know, the, you know, the other members in the shed wouldn't be shy about pulling them up on it. Um, that idea that there's no, you know, there's no eye in a shed, you know, it's, it's the shed belongs to the men and it's all the men. It's not an individual. No one, no one owns the shed. There's um, that idea that it's um, everyone's in it and everyone has their say and everyone has got uh, is respected within that to have their say. And I think that's the most important piece of it. And that's, that's why people, I think, I think that's part of the reason sheds work, you know. And I, I, I think that when uh, difficulties or a difficult situation might arise, it's um, usually there's usually people within the shed themselves which would be quick enough to point out. Actually, do you know what? You're out of line here. Um, let's get a, let's go for a walk. Let's have a chat or whatever. But let's, you know, this isn't about the impact of what you're what you're saying or doing here would have a detrimental impact way beyond 
yourself you know you know so it's that collective sense of policing nearly that kind of resolves i'd say you know 95 percent of any arguments that might exist within the shed you know but uh, luck will always be the five percent and as with the five percent is to just ensure that the shed have the uh, the resources and the knowledge and the experience to be able to deal with that in a really fair way you know so so that's you're kind of seen to be um dealing with it in, in the proper manner and their support there if needed if they need some help to help them through that process you know but you know 20 or 30 blokes in a in, in a shed you know you know you're, you're going to have disagreements but it amazes me that we don't have more than what we actually do have you know that kind of way i think what we find is that that sense of actually they're in it together you know you might not always get your own way but if you're not getting your own way, it's because it's a democratic process, you know, and every, you know, whatever, whatever people, uh, the majority of people see is the way to do it. And I think the diversity within the sheds has helped that, you know, so not just the wee workshops now in Ireland now, you know, you know, some of the biggest growing trends within sheds is music and singing and stuff like that. So we're seeing a lot more diversity within sheds. So it's not just your workshop where you're doing your woodwork or your metalwork or whatever, you know, so uh, a lot more social activities, a lot more kind of, um, you know, a lot more of the arts coming out and the cultural stuff coming out, which is really positive. So, um, and I think that helps as well when there's more diversity and there's more there's more options for people and, and types of programs for, for and projects for people to get involved in. So that, that might have something to do with it as well a little bit. But look, I think it's it's the self-policing. And I think it's this, the fact that actually, you know, we always try and remind people, remember why you walked into the shed the very first day you walked in, you know, and do you want to risk that because... You don't agree with whatever you know and you very quickly that brings people back to the reason they went to the shed that very first day you know and like john said you know everyone's got a, their own reason you know and sometimes that brings it back as well you know and uh, it, it reminds people of of the real purpose of the shed and, and why they're there themselves you know yeah look i think john and barry have really covered this one very well but to add to it a bit and it's one i've heard a lot in the sheds and Oh yeah, I love this saying, and I think it sums up you know the the operations of a lot of sheds. Is you'll quite often hear them say, "Well, when you walk in the shed, you leave your ego at the door, your past, who you were, what you did. That's irrelevant once you walk into a men's shed. In the men's shed, the common denominator is we are all men. You know, I quite often come across." People in in the sheds, yeah. You, know, you you might have a bloke who was a trades assistant, or you know worked in manufacturing or that type of background, and his best mate in the shed might have been a QC or a doctor, you know, a lawyer, things like this. It, it's totally irrelevant in the shed. Yes, we we do get our fair, you know, an amount of you know disturbances in the shed and disputes, but. And it's one of the magic ingredients of that cake that we're cooking here. They're all self-incorporated. They're all um, their own legal entity. So they have to deal with a lot of these issues at that level. And a lot of the time they just don't really want that. They're all there. They want to make sawdust and have a, have fun and enjoy you know, their time in the shed. So there doesn't seem to be a great appetite for having you know, internal disputes and things. And I know, Barry and John, from your experiences, you'd agree in our roles, we spend quite a lot of time dealing with some of these disputes. But when we look at it in the grander scheme of things and the grander number of what's out there, it's a very low low proportion. So, you know, I think the fact that they're 
self-incorporated and self-managed entities complemented with the fact that the, the egos leave when the guy walks in the shed. They're all there about each other and themselves and the camaraderie. I think that alleviates a lot of that problem. David, there was a grand and exciting plan to get together with Barry, John and a whole heap of other people from Ireland and right across the world, but that's on hold at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. At about this time, I should have been over there in Galway, which I've never been to before, and I was quite looking forward to it with Barry at the International and the Irish Men's Shed Associations Conference and catch up with John, you know, hopefully later for a game of golf or two. But um, that hasn't happened this year due to this COVID. But I believe, Barry, everything's been postponed for about 12 months. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So we're working closely with uh, one of the big universities here in Galway. And uh, obviously, with everything going on at the moment, we're, we're due to have it now during the summer. So we postponed it for 12 months. They're really keen to have us back next year. We're just uh, waiting to figure out the date, you know. And it was really exciting for us because we were kind of, we wanted to put a global focus on us, you know. So we wanted to share not just our story, but other countries to share their stories, you know, with, with, with Irish sheds, you know. And we had, I think, nearly a 1,000 tickets sold. So it was going to be the biggest event that we've ever put on here. We were going to have sheds from all over the world coming together um, and sharing their experiences and learning from each other. But do you know what? I think if what it's going to do, it's going to give us something to really look forward to next year. You know, So we'll get through these difficult months. We'll get the sheds back up and running. And then we have a real good run into probably next summer again where we've got something big where you know we've got something really to celebrate hopefully we'll be back we'll be we'll be stronger than ever and we've an opportunity to kind of share and learn from each other and uh really looking forward to that next summer yeah yeah okay well we had as you know we had about 30 australians all primed and ready to come over and participate in the yeah. conference and hopefully by you know your summer or, you know next year there that um the travel restrictions, you know, have lifted enough and the men are comfortable with him, you know, continuing with those travel plans and coming over there. So hopefully we'll have the biggest contingent of Aussies that we've ever had at, a, at an Irish men's Shed conference. You know, you've been to a couple of them or you've been to a few of them now, Dave, at this stage, you know. Um, yeah, I've been to all of them, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so we actually, we actually, you know, I think what we have is that we were really excited about that thought, you know, the thought of, you know, a, you know, a coach full of uh, Aussie blokes from sheds around Australia coming to visit our sheds and we could do a tour with them and show them around and stuff, you know. I think we can't underestimate how how powerful that is, you know, and not just for the sheds here, but hopefully for the guys coming to visit. We've got similarly, we had 25 coming from Iceland. We had a big gang from coming from the UK and Canada, hopefully as well in the States. So, you know, it's a, I think it's something that, you know, we've talked a lot about sheds and we've talked a lot about kind of what they've had, the impact they've had at a local level, but we can't underestimate, you know, that like sheds have really gone global now, you know, and this movement is only growing and growing. And, it, you know, sometimes we have to take a step back and just stop and reflect and go, do you know what, actually, you know, just to be part of that story, a small little part of it, from something that started in Australia and has made such an impact in Ireland, but has now begun to have an impact in places like Iceland. Who would imagine it, as John said, Kenya earlier on and stuff like that. So it really, really is amazing. And I think it's something that people need to be proud of. And the men in the sheds need to be proud of it because they're the ones that are driving it, you know. And uh, So look, we'll have a big celebration next year. We'll have a big celebration and a, a, a big party and we look forward to welcoming all our guests from Australia. So the more the merrier. I look forward to it, mate. I look forward to it. 
we cannot wait until that happens. But I have to say, this hasn't been a bad second prize sitting around and talking as we have been, not only on this episode, but in previous episodes as well. Uh, The two of you have been extremely generous with your time. I know you feel the love every time you come to Australia, and I know that we will feel the love if we get up to Ireland when circumstances allow. Please keep up the good work. Please stay safe and know that there's a lot of good wishes coming from down under to everybody across Ireland, but especially our brothers in the men's shed movement. Barry Sheridan, the CEO of the Irish Men's Shed Association, thank Thank you. Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having us and thanks for the continued support um, from Dave and yourself, Aaron. Um, it's, it's been great, you know, and uh, we continue to learn from each other and uh, yeah, yeah, look forward to a bright future, hopefully. Maybe you can make the Shed Wireless available in Ireland with subtitles so that everybody can enjoy it there as well. Uh, Irish Men Shed founder, John Avoy, thank you very much for being so general with your time. Absolutely. We look forward to sharing it. And Australian Men Shed Association Executive Officer, David Helmers, thank you very much. The golf courses of Ireland are poorer for your absence in 2020, but they are on notice for 2021. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Barry, and thanks, John. I think the only thing the uh, golf courses in Ireland are poorer for is my lack of abuse, mate. That's about it. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for being a part of the Shed Wireless. Now on the Shed Wireless, let's see who's working in the shed. And we have a new recruit working in the shed this week. Her name is Helen Clare. A couple of weeks ago, you met Emma, who was in charge of all of our communications at AMSA. Well, Emma is off to have a baby and Helen has picked up her tools, as it were. Hello, Helen Clare. Hello. Helen's babies are older. Yes, they can pick up their own tools. That's exactly right. (laughs) And in fact, they do. I've got a 16-year-old who uh, spends a lot of time in the shed, loves his carpentry. He's doing it for school, possibly might go down that path as a career path. Granddad was a carpenter, cabinet maker. So there you go. There's a shed that's very busy at my place too. We talk a lot about the importance of generational change and making sure that uh, there's a supply of men for the future of sheds. So you've already made a contribution in that regard. (laughs) You would not be entirely unknown to some of the people listening, particularly those who have a history either with regional television in New South Wales back in the day or more recently ABC Radio. This is true. Yeah, I, uh, as a young journo, when I finished my university degree, I used to work for Prime Television in Orange and our patch was quite a big part of uh, the Central West, regional New South Wales. And that was good fun for a few years. I got to read the news for a few years there. And I had uh, a longer stint with ABC Radio and used to talk on the radio on a Sunday morning. Statewide, so across New South Wales. Yes. Once Mm. upon it feels like ages ago now. (laughs) Yeah. And how have you found yourself at AMSA? That's an excellent question. (laughs) I'm getting to know a whole new world, shed world, and what a world it is. I don't think I'm going to be bored anytime soon. So I'm here basically filling in for Emma while she's off having the baby. So far, so good. I'm pretty new. Six months ago, if somebody said to you, men shedding, what were your perceptions? I've done a lot of interviews over the years about sheds, so I know what they are, I know what they do. There's a shed in my suburb where I live, uh, which is really active. So I guess I've always had this uh, opinion of it as a great 
a great thing for older blokes to do. But to be honest, I had no idea how big the movement was. I had no idea that there were 1,200 plus men's sheds around the country. I didn't know that it all started here and has spread around the world. So I've learned a lot and what an organisation it is. I, I like the fact that I'm working for a valuable movement. There are a couple of themes that keep coming through with anybody who's associated with shedding. One is nearly all of us fall into it somehow. <laughs> Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to get involved in the shedding movement. You just, you wake up and you are in the shedding movement somehow. But secondarily, that idea of we feel like it is something that is a valuable contribution. And I sense that you feel that as well. I really do feel that as well. I think uh, the fact anything that that gets people connecting is almost a it's almost a stereotype these days, isn't it? It's one of those words you think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a buzzword. But anything that gets blokes, mainly blokes, I know there obviously there are women's sheds too and, and there's female involvement in sheds, but gets people talking and feeling included and doing something valuable and not sitting in a chair, getting old, you know, lamenting the loss of this mobility or that mobility as, as we get older and I'm, you know, I'm getting older too. All those physical things start to happen and your conversations become about, you know, your trip to the physio or the GP this week or what blood tests you've had. Anything that gets you out of that insular way of thinking and in your community and connecting with people is a great thing and sheds really do that. Earlier this episode, we spoke to Helen Barker, another Helen who is involved in the shedding movement and she is the first ever woman to be on the Australian Men's Shed Association Board of Directors. In some ways, I'm embarrassed to have to ask the question, but I do think it's one that people are interested in. How do you feel about working in a men's movement as a woman? It doesn't bother me. I've actually always got on pretty well with older guys. My late neighbour comes to mind just as, as one. Ron lived across the road from me and he actually was going to be involved in the setup of the, the men's shed, which was brand new there. And he, he passed away and it was a great loss. But we were mates. Yeah. I like the company of older blokes. We get on all right. Well, from my perspective, anyway. <laughs> as, I, as I like to say, you can't hang around on the planet for that long and not have something interesting happen to you at some point. So there's always stories, right? And you're in the storytelling business. Heaps of stories. No. Heaps of stories. And I'll sit down and I like having a chat with anybody who I've always enjoyed a real conversation. I don't like talking rubbish. I don't like all of the... Not, the not a Kardashian? Not a Kardashian? No. Friend? Not really your I speed? Just, but I enjoy a real conversation. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense and you're probably in the right place. If you're in comms in AMSA, yeah. you'll have some conversations. I don't like talking crap. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> there might just be a pinch of crap. I can't promise there won't be any crap talk. There might be a little bit of that. Uh, Helen, thank you for working in the shed with us this week and uh, welcome on board with AMSA. Thank you. Great to be on the wireless.
We've pulled the door closed on this episode of The Shed Wireless thanks to Helen Barker, the first ever woman to be elected onto the AMSA Board of Directors, Professor John MacDonald, John Avoy and Barry Sheridan, Helen Clare and everyone who contributed. And thank you to everyone who has been a part of Series 1. That first 10 episodes brings to an end our opening series, which has grown into quite a beast, yeah, given, no, given no, the, it was no, almost an emergency <laughs> response, wasn't it? Now, going by the feedback and looking at how many numbers of people listening to it, it's just amazing. And, yeah, it was a reaction to a situation, but it's now going to be a valuable asset, another tool in the shed for AMSA. So we're going to continue it on. We'll be back. I'll be seeing you again in Series 2. Indeed. And we'll take it from there. We're going to get a bit more out and dirty in the shed floor in Series 2, we hope. Well, Series 1, we didn't have a shed floor because everyone was in isolation. Now that we do, we'll get back into the shed. They're out there making man candy, so (laughs) let's go out and roll in the sawdust with them. And Looking forward to actually getting out there and talking to a few of the sheds and hearing what they have to say. So if you have an interesting project that is going on, like the bees we heard about earlier or the possum boxes or some table that you're building for the local council, whatever the thing is, we would love to hear about it. We'd just like to learn about your sheds. Everyone gets something from hearing how another shed operates. If you've got an interesting person operating in your shed, we'd like to talk to them as well. Really, we'll come chasing you, but also we would love you to put your hand up and it doesn't have to be you individually. You do it on behalf of your shed or a shed mate. Just email us at any time, theshedwireless at menshed.net, theshedwireless at menshed.net, because we would really love to connect with you. As I say, get out there on the shop floor and bring alive some of the stories of what's going on in sheds across the country for your fellow shedders. So please make use of that service and you can be a part of Series 2. I just want to say a big thank you to everybody behind the scenes here at AMSA who has worked really hard to make it happen. Uh, The vision from you, obviously, David, but also Emma, who has now gone off on maternity leave, worked really hard. Uh, Helen Clare, who stepped in. Marty Least has been a huge Mm -hmm. support behind the scenes. Stuart as well. All of the team. And they've all worked in the shed at some point on an episode. Also to Sal Avard, who is sort of my side on the production who has done a lot of uh, the heavy lifting as well. So thank you for making it possible at short notice and often in trying circumstances. So, of course, even though we won't be back for a couple of weeks, we will be back. And in the meantime... I'm pretty confident every single one of you hasn't listened to every single conversation that has happened in the 10 episodes so far. They exist online, so by all means, get on there and have a listen. You can listen through Apple iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Red Circle. I was talking to somebody who heard us on community radio the other day. Wherever you find us, please subscribe so that each new episode gets delivered straight to you, and then you won't have to worry about when Series 2 turns up. It'll just be in your phone or on your computer computer because you're already a subscriber. But the main thing we need from you is to spread the word. Not everybody is au fait with how podcasts work, so that's where we need your help. Send them an email, include us in the newsletters. I know lots of the sheds that we're already talking to are doing that. Word of mouth, ring a mate, however it needs to happen, just tip someone else into it. 
There's great conversations happening online as well at menshed.org. And a lot of the things we talk about here uh, have a genesis there online and you can join in. And of course, as David mentioned earlier, this was a response to COVID and uh, trying to battle the social isolation that it brought to many of us. Just because things have changed doesn't mean that social isolation has ceased to be an issue. So if you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14 or Men's Line on 1300 99 78 99. That's 1300 99 78 99. And if you go to our website, there's a ton of resources there that will be a jumping off point to everything else that you need. And that is just menshed.org. You can't go too far wrong. If you just head there, it's a window on everything else. So on behalf of David Helmers, I am Aaron Carney saying thank you for listening, not only to this episode, but supporting the entire Shed Wireless concept and shedding more generally. It has been a real honour to bring you the first 10 episodes and I can't wait to see where we head next. So we'll see you next time around on the Shed Wireless. (laughs) 